And it's good to have the opportunity to testify. I have good memories of the lifeboat over here 20 odd years ago. The Lord led us down here for a season, Linda and I, and uh, with great times meeting Stephen and Bertie and many, many more. Some of you are probably looking at me and says, I remember that boy, he's got very old looking. <laughs> well, I have news for you, you have all got old looking too. <laughs> so there you go. Look, we want to read one wee verse, and don't even turn to it because I'm going to keep motoring through this. It's 23 years coming, 24, Alan. Is it? Yes. So there you go. And I'm going to tell you a wee bit about that tonight, how I come to know Alan uh, all them years ago. Just one wee verse, and I want to tell you how the Lord drew me and saved me and is working in my life almost 24 years later. Unbelievable. So, John 6, 44, and I say, don't turn to it. No one, no man, no woman can come to me unless the Father who sent me, that's Jesus, draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Another version says, giving him the desire to come to me. I was 28 when I was converted. And I loved the world. I just loved it. I was brought up in a good home and I had great parents. My mother's still living. She'll be 90 next month if she's spared. My father's dead 16 years. But I was brought up in a good home. I went to an Anglican church that preached the gospel. Some of you will remember Roland Hutchison the evangelist and speaker, had meetings with Sam Workman throughout the whole of the North and South and seen hundreds converted. And I went along on Sunday afternoon to a wee apostolic Sunday school. So a good mix, apostolic and Anglican. You couldn't get better. But uh, 14, 15, 16, I started to pull away from all this stuff. I had enough of that. But you know, the pleasures of sin are only for a season. And things started to catch up with me. I always had a fear of God. When Roland used to preach on Sunday, I thought it was God himself because there was something about him. There was an anointing on his life. And his sermons would have went through you. Through you. You, you knew there was a heaven and you knew there was a hell. <laughs> you definitely knew. And I was only a young lad then, but I knew there was something different about that man. So that's the way I grew up and uh, motored on. But I come under this immense oppression that I thought it was when I was about 24 or 5, maybe 26. But continue, I'm just telling you as it is here tonight, I'm looking at the clock here, I don't want to take up too much time. But I'll just tell you how it is. About that age, I'd been married, I'd met Linda and we'd got married, bought house and got settled down. But I was so down so down. Depression probably would be a good way to put it, but so down at that time. But I didn't know till later it was conviction of sin. And uh, nights I used to sit at the edge of the bed, Linda was sleeping her head off, and I used to sit worried about eternity. If you look at YouTube and all the stuff now, you'd think there is no God. It's just rubbish, so much of it. And the way we're going, the way society, society is, just turn it off and stick to the word. They're racking this here. They want to pull stripes out of, it, out of this word. But God's real. 
He's so real. So, so real. So real. And I would have sat on the edge of my bed. If I die in the night, I'm lost. I'm lost. And I used to wake up so relieved that I was alive on this earth. And I could hardly carry that. And I remember one night praying and repenting and all the rest of it, but there was nothing and it was empty. But you know, the time went on and time went on like that for a couple of years. And I can remember one night, it was a Sunday. I'll never forget it. It was the 7th of November, 1999. And I remember it as clear. I was in the house. We lived uh, in Darlingstown at the time. And I remember from I got up that morning, I had this urgency to go to a meeting. This urgency. So about half six or thereabouts, uh, I went up to this wee hall. I didn't know there was a meeting on. There's no Facebook, YouTube, none of that stuff. If you wanted to know if there was a meeting on, you just looked in the paper. And I didn't buy papers. So uh, I had this urgency to go to a meeting. So about half six, I walked up the road about a quarter of a mile, and I went into this wee hall, and it was in darkness. But there was two big gates on it, and they were, they were open. So I said, there's something on here. And I went down home and sat down, and I couldn't settle. I walked about, and I fidgeted, and I fidgeted. And uh, I rung my mother at the time, and I said, is there a meeting? And such, no, I don't think it is, I don't think and this is the way it went on. I couldn't settle. So maybe half seven, quarter past, I up the road again. The gates were still open. And there was a light on. No cars. Nobody about. He says, that's strange. A light on, and my wee brain was working. Well, somebody has opened the gate. And somebody has stuck a light on. And probably put heat on. So I'm down home again. And I still couldn't settle. And the, the wife says, what is wrong with you? I says, I don't know. So I went up the road again. And, and, and Linda come with me. And there's a man. I can see it as clear the night. There's that clock at the back there. Joe McComb. He's dead and he's in heaven. Now. He was getting out of a mass of 323 car. He had it for about 40 years. <laughs> He was getting out of this wee master car, and I says, Joe, what's going on in here tonight? And he had a bit of a stutter, and he says, young fella, he says, uh, there's a meeting on, are you coming in? I says, I do, I am. And I slipped in and I sat at the back, and uh, it's them plastic chairs, you know, you used to get years ago, the, the, more, the longer you sit on them, and the back warms up, the forward, the back, they're like recliners almost. <laughs> Some of them. Well, by the end of the night, I was near on the floor, but nevertheless, I sat at the back on the sang of just like the, just like here. Sang a few wee songs and all the rest of it. But God was so working in me, I didn't know what was coming or going or going or coming or what I was doing. But Alan here got up, and I never met Alan in my life, but I specifically remember him getting up. And I was always used to boys preaching maybe a wee collar on and all this sort of stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But Alan got up to preach, and as far as I know, he preached in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things 
will be added on to you. Well, that went through me. That went through me. I mean it went through me. And as clear as I'm talking to you tonight, and people say about God having a voice on all these debates, listen, there's a voice in my head as if I roared my head off, it wouldn't be loud enough. This is your last chance. This is your time. This is your opportunity. Don't leave the building. And it's 24 coming years ago in November, and I looked to the front and there was a man coming walking towards me, and I used to walk with him years ago, and elderly to say, I can't face that man tonight. I couldn't face him. So I got up, and my mind was in turmoil. I'm just telling you, I'm not exaggerating. There's no call to exaggerate. My mind was in turmoil. And I walked out, I was at the back seat, so I hadn't, from here to that white door to walk, and every step it was like getting near their eternity and death and darkness. Fear of man brings a snare. The, the fear of that man put me out. There's nothing wrong with the man, but it was just what was going on in my head. And I remember stepping outside into the cold, dark November night, and it was like signing a death warrant. I says, it's over. I have missed this. And there's a man standing over to my left, Darl Kidd, and he says, Ian, thanks for coming to the meeting. And I broke down. I says, boy, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue what's wrong with me. He says, I know. I know. And Alan, I just bought a new house at the time off, Darl Lane Road, and Alan come down, and Darl and we talked at length, and I explained how I'd been feeling, and explained to me that God's speaking to you. God has a voice. And if he's speaking to you, if you're saved or not saved or backslidden or whatever condition you're in, heed his voice. If you're a Christian and he's speaking to you about stuff, heed it at all cost. Set not your factions and things of the earth <laughs> because it'll all pass. So three times I was through to that hall and uh, we got right with the Lord that night. That was at 10 to 11. I remember writing the, the, date, the time down, just happened to write it down. And you know, I went to bed that night and I slept like a child. I got up the next morning and the burden was gone. Two or three years of weight was gone. I went over to the kitchen where I kept alcohol and opened the wee cupboard and just took the whole lot out and poured it down the sink. And I have no desire to look at it, look at it, or touch it. Gone. Amen. And then new desires started to come. I had a desire to go to meetings, I had a desire to go to churches, but I had a huge desire for the place of prayer. It's just something God puts in your heart. And we had meetings, and I said at the time, what can I do to help? What can I do? And all the rest of it. And... Uh, give out hymn books and done doors and we had missions and meetings and all the rest of it. What a great time. It was hard going, but it was really good. And we used to meet on Friday night, a handful of us. Just at that time, the Lord had been gracious and he had saved a few boys my age in our mid-twenties uh, to early thirties. And we all used to meet on Friday night and prayed and interceded. I'm not joking you. 
It started at eight, it was a bit of a struggle, maybe to half nine or ten, but maybe from ten o'clock to one o'clock, it was like, is that clock not working or what is going on? It was like that. Time. And there was roaring and shouting and intercession and praise. It was unbelievable. Great times. Times of refreshing, I would call them, from the presence of the Lord. And that went on for a good few years, and then things shifted and changed, and stuff happened. And you know, it just uh, it got a bit lonely for a while, but God is always working. As you sang earlier, even in the storms of life, the old roots get stronger and they go down deeper. He tests you to see if you're going to run or stick at it. So, uh, that was that. But you know, there's one thing happened one night, it was 2000, and uh, Alan again was along speaking, and we had great meetings, and there was a few people that got converted, which was great, professed salvation. But Alan said this from the front, and I was sitting, I always loved the back, so it's a bit of a change from up here. But I was sitting on Alan saying, it's great these people getting saved. He'll probably not remember what I remember. But he says, there's such a thing as revival. Amen. Well, I says, what is that? And it was as if he had threw a dart. And it just hit me there. And I went home that night and I started to search out what revival was. What is this revival? Books, and I got books, and I got stuff and I read on it, and about Kells, and about Duncan Campbell, and all this business, and I'd done something in here, because that's what we're here for. That's what I've been seeking for, and that's a burden the Lord has given me, and many here tonight. Revival. But I'll say this, friends. You are seeking it, and when O'Birdie's promised the hill, the river, and the valley. I've seen a powerful picture the other day someone put on the internet. It, when we see a rainbow, the real one now, when we see a, real bo- a rainbow, we see it like this, half. But someone had been up on an aeroplane or what or however they got up, I don't know, but they took a photo from high up, way up, it must have been a drone or something, I don't know. But you could see the whole rainbow in a circle. And I felt the Lord say, the promise is coming full circle. Amen. The promise is coming full circle. That's mine and Bertie's and Alan's and all the promises we believe the Lord has given us. But in 2013, all right, for time, Alan, you give me a nudge. Me, I'm like a, honestly, give me a nudge because I could talk for hours. That's what the wife says. I says to Lindy, are you coming down? She says, I'm not for I can't stick you up there. <laughs> You look down and the sweat's running out of her. She doesn't know what I'm going to say. And it's wonderful because I don't know why. <laughs> but listen, 2013-14, God really started to work. I thought, you know, I was going rightly. I made plenty of blunders and all that. But you know, in 2013-14, the Lord started to work in a deeper way. And that has took me to, two, what is this, 2023? That's the best part of 10 years. But you know, I was not expecting 
this deep work to start. It was different. It takes you into a deeper place. There's a man one night said to him at the back of a meeting, he handed me a book like that. He says, thanks for encouraging me. I never spoke a word to him. He was preaching, and he just handed me a book. Walked out. I thought it was near Christmas. I thought it was a calendar. We calendar thing. Stuck it in my pocket and went home straight in the house. Well, here I started to read that book. And there's another thing. It was like Alan's sermon that went through me. I'd advise you to buy it. Look it up online. It's back in reprint. It's an old book written by a lady called Frances Roberts. She went through the Moody Bible College and she was a poet and hymn writer. She knows what she's talking about. It's called Come Away, My Beloved. Come Away, My Beloved. Well, the Lord started to work on my life through that wee book in a real deeper way. It's just ripped the bits. I've read it that many times. But I remember one morning coming in, got read up outside, and I was coming in. The children was at school, and... Uh, the wife was away to work, and I was so overwhelmed and tired and weary of my life. I knew I was saved, I knew I was going to heaven. It wouldn't have mattered if somebody would have shot me. I had no problem with that at all. But there was this desire for more of God. And I couldn't stick it. And I remember falling in the kitchen floor, I could take you to the spot in a heap, and I called out to the Lord, Lord, would you do something with me? Would you come? I never went to work for a week after that. I just sought the Lord and read and prayed. And the Lord has so much for us, you know, and so much we have to go after. Uh, things that I desired as a Christian up until that point and even years after that actually never come to light. I had desires, I had ambitions, but it all seemed to just keep falling apart. So it did. But you see, one, that went on for a good number of years. It brought me immense sadness, and it was an unforgettable time. Going through with God, thy vows to pay, and all upon the altar lay. It's no, <laughs> it's no joke. It's no joke. <laughs> so it's not. I didn't realize what, what God was actually doing he was emptying me of self and selfishness and pride and all that fleshly stuff. What's the wee hymn say? Empty that thou shouldest fill me. And you know, that text time, and that had went on for a considerable time, but one night, several nights I couldn't sleep, and I remember waking in the middle of the night and walking about and looking through the window and all the rest of it. And I remember I was going back down to bed and I felt compelled to read this book. And I says, no, I'm not, because it's only a notion in my head. And it went on and on. And uh, I got it out, and I always put a wee mark in it. I mightn't lift it for six months. And uh, I, I opened it up and I read these words. You have not let me down. Whoa. I says, that's good. I have not let you down. I says, that's good. You have let yourself down. It's just, Lord, what are you saying? You've let yourself down. You see, you had my plans. 
I had my ambitions. I had my ideas. And all the rest of it. But the Lord was showing me that I have a plan for you. It's a new, he has a plan for everyone, every person in here. Every person from the youngest, lovely wee children here at the front to the oldest in here. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. It's called your destiny. <laughs> That's what it's called. And hell and the devil and all his companions will try everything in their power. And this old flesh that we have to walk about in every day will try everything to keep you from it. It'll try religion. It'll try every scheme going to keep you from it. But it's there for you to get. And I advise you to go for it. Time's short. So, I realized then, and I just surrendered afresh, everything. What's the way, of course, all of my ambitions, hopes, and plans, I surrender. It's all right singing these things. It's easy to sing and talk and read about and figure about, but this is reality. All of my ambitions, I surrender these into your hands. John Piper once said this, and I thought it was powerful. To love is to stop comparing yourself with others. I had a big problem. I always compared myself with other people. Oh, he's doing well, and she's doing well, and they're doing it. What about when you're down, rejected, hopeless, good for nothing? That's what's going through your head all your life. But you're unique. There's only one you. And God has made you. And I said, I could do a bit better her and all. But sure, that's the way it is. I'm not worried. We're all unique. You're all special. And God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And Piper went on to say, it's to stop your comparing yourself with others. What is that to you? Follow me. There is grace to do it. Will you trust him for that grace and the liberty that comes when Jesus gets through and sets you free? Sets you free. Sung it there earlier about being set free. I'm free tonight. I'm saved. I was saved 23, coming 24 years ago. But I'm free tonight. People say, sure, if you're saved, you are. No, you're not. There's a pile of stuff going on in my wee mind that just wasn't great. But God had to set me free. I grew up all my life a rejected person. Not because my mummy didn't, or my daddy didn't look. Not at all. There was something there that I grew up with. Feeling stupid, low self-esteem, low self-worth. You'll never make anything yourself. You'll never do anything. God has set me free. Him who the sun sets free, you all know it, is half free, 90%? No, no. Free indeed. Free indeed. I wonder, are you free tonight, Christians? Or is there some wee thing always niggling and niggling? Get rid of it. 
Get prayer. Do anything. But get free. And be free indeed. And the joy that comes when Jesus set you free, not normal. It's a whole different level. The fullness of the Spirit. Whole different thing. Free from bitterness. Free from rejection. Free from envy and all that stuff. I'll bring this to a close. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, it's so important to get saved. He'll save you, he'll heal you, he'll deliver you, and there's power in his blood. There's so much power in his blood that that night that I woke up with peace, you haven't paced the night, you'll get it nowhere. You'll not get it in a battle. You'll not get it in drugs. You'll not get it in sex. You'll not get it in pornography. You'll get it in nothing. You'll not get it in yoga or any of these outfits or new age rubbish. You'll not get it. If all these things fulfilled the need, we wouldn't be in the place we're in with depressions through the roof, suicide through the roof, anxiety through the roof fear through the roof. If all these things are so wonderful and they're firing them at you in the paper, the phone and everywhere you look, there's demonic rubbish everywhere. Listen, the only one that set you free and give you peace is Jesus the Christ. The chosen one, the Messiah, he's the only one that can bring true peace and true liberty. I'll close with these words and then I'll sit down. One thing always kept me going, I remember reading a prayer 20 years ago, and when difficult times come, and stuff come, and you're pushing on, and you're pushing through, and you went to meetings, and you were sitting in a mess, and everybody thought you were fine, but inside there was a war and a battle. And these words always stuck in my head. They're from Amy Carmichael, the missionary to India that was born in Malay. Give me the love. Isn't that brilliant? Lord, please give me the love. Not my love, your love. That leads the way. Give, look at that. Give me the love that leads the way. We always need something to lead us. We're always relying on our old phones now. If you're going anywhere, sat-nav, sat-nav. No sat-nav in my day. You had to ask people, stick the window down and ask people where you were going. Now I saw this. We're always relying on something. Amy says, give me the love that leads the way. The faith that nothing can dismay. That's a core faith to ask for. That nothing can dismay. Nothing. The hope, the hope, no disappointments tire. Jeepers, we've got all right books on disappointments. But she says, give me the hope, no disappointments tire. And a passion that'll burn like fire. Help me. Like fire, let me not sink to be a clod, but make me thy fuel flame, O oh God. That's only part of my story. There's so much has happened. There's promises received, died, 
and were resurrected again. And that's only part of the story. And I just give him, and I mean this from all my heart, I give him all the glory in Jesus' name. Thank you all. God bless you.